This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 22, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. States are under no obligation to assist federal law enforcement enforcing federal laws. Many cities are playing up the fact that they will not be assisting the feds in enforcing federal immigration law. Alex Narasta, immigration analyst at the Cato Institute, discusses the distinction between so-called sanctuary cities and secure communities ahead of the Trump presidency. Let's draw a quick distinction here between uh, a sanctuary city and a secure community. What is the difference? So a sanctuary city is a local jurisdiction that limits its police interaction with federal immigration enforcement, limits who they can deport, how they can detain people, etc., and hand them over to ICE. Uh, Secure communities, however, is sort of the opposite end of that. It requires local police to release all illegal immigrants or people who they feds think are illegal immigrants into their custody. All right. So where do we typically find one city or the other? So uh, most cities in the United States are, uh, most of the big ones are sanctuary cities uh, right now. They do not cooperate with federal immigration enforcement except in certain categories. For instance, uh, people convicted of uh, serious felonies. Um, But generally, they just don't cooperate with ICE. And this has a long, long tradition in the United States, going back to um, 1979, actually. Los Angeles Special Order 40 of the LAPD said that they would not cooperate with the federal government or ask about uh, immigration status of anybody that they uh, come in contact with. All right. So there are a lot of sort of complicating things here with respect to how immigrants are treated in these uh, different places. In, in some states, and I think you and I th- would think that this is totally reasonable, uh, illegal immigrants can get driver's licenses because it makes sense that people who are driving on the road be qualified to do so. And be able to buy insurance uh, lawfully in their state to cut down on problems. And there's a lot of research about this. And uh, when New Mexico made it legal for illegal immigrants to buy uh, to get driver's licenses and to buy insurance, um, the amount of traffic accidents in the state dropped and the amount uh, paid by other insured drivers also declined. Uh, not by a whole lot, by about $20 per year per driver, but that's a good amount comparing to the total amount spent on auto insurance that year. So what is the interaction likely to be going forward with a Donald Trump presidency and states and localities that have opted to say, well, we're, you, can, you enforce your federal law, we'll enforce our state laws, and we're not going to assist you with regard to enforcing federal law. So I think we're going to see two developments. The first is the uh, secure communities is going to be brought back. This was a program I mentioned uh, just a minute ago, but it was created by George Bush. Uh, it expanded greatly under Obama, and then he ended in 2014, replaced it with another program. Uh, so I think Donald Trump will bring back secure communities and uh, try to force every locality in the United States to uh, release all immigrant offenders into the custody of the federal government for deportation. Uh, The second will be uh, legal attacks against sanctuary cities and local jurisdictions that do not cooperate with secure communities. And there's a few areas where the federal government can go after these uh, these cities. Uh, One is by withholding funding that compensates states and localities for the incarceration of illegal immigrants. It's called the State Criminal Alien Assistance Program. In 2015, they paid about $165 million to help defer the costs of incarcerating illegal immigrants. Uh, David Vitter, 
the uh, senator from Louisiana has introduced legislation to cut this program to localities that don't cooperate with the federal government. I think we'll see more of that uh, go forward and probably become law. All right. So some states in the past have foregone federal funding uh, in exchange for compliance with uh, specific federal uh, requirements, uh, but that's pretty rare. It is rare. Um, I think the one of the big examples was uh, one of the uh, when alcohol age was increased. It was one state. I forget which state, but there was a state that uh, did not cooperate uh, with that, and they held out for a couple of years. But they eventually succumbed. But part of that is because highway funding is an enormous part of a budget, and there's a lot of money tied to it. Uh, the funds that we're talking about here for the state criminal alien assistance program, or some of the other DOJ grants, are pretty small by comparison. So I think there's a better chance that these local cities and local communities and states will hold out and uh, continue their local um, uh, sanctuary city policies. Work with me here. Is this for cities to declare and sort of make a big deal out of the sanctuary city status? How much of that can be uh, tied to saying, well, we're just making an economically rational decision to make our city relatively welcoming? to people who are not here legally but still want to work, they still want to have uh, families, they still want to contribute to the economy. And we're thinking, if we're able to attract these people who are not here legally and afford them some manner of protection, that that actually will improve economic conditions in a city. I think there's a good argument for that, but most of the argument made by cities and localities is that it will help improve public safety a lot. So um, there's a whole theory of community policing. It says that in order to police effectively cut crime, you need the community's cooperation in terms of testifying, reporting crimes, etc. And this community, if there is a lot of illegal immigrants, are just not going to be receptive to cooperating or contacting law enforcement because they fear that they could be deported as a result of this casual interaction leading to potentially an arrest or their deportation. So by removing that fear from people, the hope is that you'll get more illegal immigrants cooperating with the police and solve more crimes and public safety will improve. Why does it matter uh, the manner in which this Secure Communities program was rolled out? So it was rolled out randomly across the United States, which allows sort of a natural experiment for us to test the impact on actual crime rates. Did secure communities make communities more secure? Uh, and the fact is that it had zero impact on crime rates across the United States, according to a paper in the Journal of Law and Economics. So they neither, you know, these, this enforcement did not cut crime because there were fewer illegal immigrant criminals, but it also didn't increase crime. So on both ends of the spectrum, you had more enforcement of immigration laws on the local level, and as a result, illegal immigrants were less likely to cooperate. But crime didn't go up uh, either way. So it's sort of uh, pushed back against two of the main theories about illegal immigrants and crime. Alex Narasta is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.